This song is called I Am Sad, So Very, Very Sad. Thank you. This next one's called We Hate You, Please Die. Hello. Um, this is uh, the Scottish Rugby Blog podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I'm Cammy Black. Um, a slightly different intro there this week because uh, we felt we needed a, 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 a quite a... I don't know, a, a low-key intro, maybe. Um, who knows? Um, this week, uh, we're going to be indulging in some group therapy uh, and some counselling. Uh, I am Cami Black, of course, as ever. And joining me on this spiritual awakening is Brother Ian Hay. Hello, Brother Hay. Hello, Brother Black. How are we? Uh, we are okay. Uh, you are allowed, uh, Brother Hay. You, you are permitted uh, two swears this week. Given the circumstances, okay. use them wisely. That is I will not use say. any. No, no F or C bombs shall pass my lips. <laughs> um, you can get in touch with us uh, if you want to, because we will be carrying on with this. Don't worry, we, we're not giving up on Scotland yet. <laughs> um, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Cami Black or at Scott Rugby Blog. We're on Facebook and Instagram too. If you just search for us, we'll, uh, Scottish Rugby Blog and Scottish Rugby Podcast, we will pop up. You can get in touch with us by email, Scottish, uh, sorry, that's podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. If you're already listening to us, uh, you will know where to find us, but um, please tell your friends we are on Apple Podcasts. We are also on Acast, Spotify, and lots and lots of other apps as well. Um, if there's any that we are not on, then do please let us know, and we will try and make sure that we get on there for your for your convenience. You can leave us a review as well on Apple Podcasts, should you choose to do so. Um, no reviews this week. I think everybody's had uh, better things to do. Um, it's been it's been a hard week. Um, it's been a hard week, and it's hard to know um kind of what what positives we can take from it um i mean you just think where's where's the silver lining in it all it all feels very depressing it's all bleak it's It's bleak bleak. it is but um i don't know ian about you but when you think about it actually england are still the only nation to be kicked out of their own World Cup at the group stages. Fiesta! You'd almost think we did it on purpose. Um, that's, that's, that's what we're going with. We did it on purpose. Yeah, that's how we're starting. We're starting with the positive, folks. So that's enough of that. Um, <laughs> we'll, go, we'll try our best to have a bit of fun tonight um, as much as we can, make the listening bearable. Um, we are going to start with crap call-offs, as we always do, um, which is where we ask you to get in touch with um, people from your team, your club, uh, who have given rubbish reasons for calling off training or calling off from games. Um, this week, we have a celebrity crap call-off because, of course, Ben Skeen, TMO extraordinaire, friend of the podcast, um <laughs> Was was called called off the the, the Scotland Japan game. No explanation given. Marius Yonker took his place. Where was Ben Skeen and why did he call off Ian? I have three theories. Any any theories from your end? Um, he'd gone fishing, perhaps. Maybe, maybe we know we know Ben is a charismatic That's, character. 
I mean, because fishing, I mean, I've never been fishing, but it's, it seems like a pretty dull pastime. You're just sitting there for hours n- near a lake. Yeah. For can, is, is there anybody you can sort of like interrupt with your unwanted opinion, though? In fishing, maybe the fish. <laughs> um, yeah, just jump down and shout at fish. Uh, excuse me, uh, Pike. Um, no, uh, what else could it be? No, I would. So, what what my... do you think he was up to? Uh, well, I've gone with uh, he got He's his he got his uh, shirt stuck in a laminator whilst laminating his world rugby decision making framework for high tackles. <laughs> Very That's best. Solid. That's yep. it. Uh, got yep. stuck in a lift, and when he called for help, he talked for so long that the person on the other end fell asleep. <laughs> Gave up. Yep. Um, um, excuse me, mate. I'm 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 stuck in a lift, eh? Uh, <laughs> I suppose you could send for help. Uh, and the last one is he became embroiled in a heated online discussion about the appropriate ratio of screen wash to water for the time of year, and refused to leave his computer until Big Clive zero zero one zero zero one four eight saw sense that a ten percent to ninety percent ratio was practically useless with the looming possibility of an early frost. <laughs> Seems, it feels like a very Ben scheme thing to do. Um, next, we will uh, we'll move on. We'll do we'll do where's Doogie Donnelly. I've not got the I've not got the um, jingle queued up for this. We're doing an we're doing it early. We normally do it towards the end of the pod, but I'm trying to brighten the mood before we launch into the um, abject misery of the review of the World Cup. Uh, Ian Wallace, friend of the podcast, got in touch to say that his mum watched the Scotland Japan game with the South African team. He says she was speaking to a man who was six foot eight who told her that Scotland will win if they slow the ball down. Uh, Ian says she didn't know what the Rugby World Cup was two weeks ago, so he was quite impressed that she was able to pass that on. Um, I was trying to think who would be six foot eight because Ian didn't know, his mum didn't know who it was. It's, the only thing I, is uh, Eben Etzeben is the only yeah, six foot eight player I can think Snyman's a pretty big boy and Ludy Jaeger as well. I think they're plus, six foot eight plus when I looked. Oh, really? Jeez. I don't know. I, I don't, I'm assuming Ian's mum yeah. didn't have a tape measure. I'm guessing she's she's guessing. Um, Chloe Stanton also got in touch via the emails. Uh, She said, and this is quite a niche one, I like this though, uh, she she was listening to the podcast on her way home last week, followed by the better band, uh, and once it finished, she was on autopilot and genuinely thought for a moment during House Song that I was singing. Which we have, and I was singing, yeah, yeah, me. All right. So I think it's just, it's quite a a weird song, but yeah, it does, with the Fantasy League... um, Jingle has been compared to the better band before, which which I'll take that, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, so, to business. Scotland are at the World Cup. Second time in history when Scotland have failed to progress beyond the group stages uh, of the Rugby World Cup. Um, like I said, it's it's the first time, uh, it's the, the, you know, the England are still the only team not to get out of the group stages in their own World Cup. I will not accept Wales as a legitimate answer because England were technically the hosts because the final was at Twickenham in 1991. So we're not having that. Um, but we're going to try some group therapy. So what we thought we'd do is we're going to review the tournament from a Scottish point of view. Uh, and try and help us put some what happened into perspective by look, following the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, we've gone with the agnostic atheist version of it because there's a lot of God stuff in the original one, and I didn't want to blaspheme or offend any of our more religious listeners. But um, oh, you just leave that for me. Yes, you, you can. You can. I'll, I'll leave that for you to do later on, Ian. Um, the, the step one then. Um, I mean, first of all, we should say this isn't like any way like 2007 and Andy Robinson, but we'll we may touch upon that later on. Um, step one is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Um, I guess 
I, I've interpreted that, and I'll put the question to you first, Ian. Were we really that bad against Japan, or were just Japan very, very good? Japan were tremendous. Um, they are, uh, you know, their execution of skills, the offloading, everything was going to hand. It was, it was kind of like watching Fiji at sevens at times. It, it was, they, they were impeccable. Um, and sometimes you have to hold your hand up and say, you know what, well played. There's a couple of times I'm watching tries just get, you know what, that's just super play. You can't, you can't sort of fault anyone there. You can, you know, obviously we can run back a few phases and go right. He should have done that there, what have you. Um, but I mean. The number of times we were just aimlessly and poorly kicking a ball away to a team like Japan, who are all about counter-attacking, as we should be. Um, but, you know, their, their execution was just far superior to ours. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, I don't think they had any unforced errors at all. That's ridiculous. You I know. know. Um, I don't know what the conditions were like there, because obviously, you know, it stopped raining, but you imagine there would still be a bit of moisture on the pitch, um, which would go on to the ball. Um, but it's... I mean, some a lot. Sometimes I think it was the second try. You've got sort of fall forwards offloading while they're on the deck, about to hit the floor, um, and everything was just crisp and precise. Actually, if you for um, for Nell's try, I thought Johnny Gray showed a, a lovely bit of skill as well. It was. I mean, that was the thing, wasn't it? In the second half, Scotland showed up, and I mean, we, I mean we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it as we go through the twelve steps. But the, you know, there the was the second half from Scotland was much better. I think it kind of does. The thing that kind of frustrated me, I think, in the, in the immediate aftermath of the match was all the all the kind of regular sort of niggly wee commentators talking about Scotland now being tier two and uh, you know Scotland not being a quality team. But I, I think that that does a great disservice to just how well Japan played. Because you know, if you start talking about Scotland as a tier two team and Scotland not being very good, then what that says is Japan. What Japan did was unremarkable, but actually, I think it was it was entirely remarkable. Yeah. And then if you're saying we are tier two, that puts us down with teams who, just a few days before that game, we've absolutely smashed. You know, Samoa. If you if you're going to call them tier two, thirty four nil. Russia. If you know, what tier does that put Russia in? If we can beat them sixty one nil. Yeah, and what particularly galled me was that there were some Welsh guys getting salty on Twitter and I was like, You guys struggled to beat Uruguay earlier that day, so let's not get let's not get ahead of ourselves here in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. I mean Scott that's one thing to think about is that Scotland were the only team in the in the group stages to nil two teams. I think um the only other nilling I think was uh all blacks against Canada. Um, yes, I, th- I believe so. Uh, yeah, because even the South African Namibia, I think Namibia got three points, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's hard. I mean, but come back to the game. I mean, it's hard to play against. I mean, the possession in the first half: Japan seventy-four percent, Scotland twenty-six percent. You can't win a game with when you haven't you you just haven't got the ball. No, and also territory seventy-five percent as well. You know, three quarters three quarters of the game uh, in our half without the ball. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the exit strategies maybe left a lot to be desired but once you're pinned back there it's it's hard to get back out yeah um we'll move on to the next step next step two we came to believe and accept that we needed strengths beyond our awareness and resources to restore us to sanity um i suppose the question is and this it feels early for this step but we'll, we'll go there anyways i mean where does scotland go from here i mean was it I mean, we've touched on it is it was it really I guess the thing is that what this was an we've said it's an exceptional Japan performance. You know, is it? There's some people sort of talking about sort of tearing up and starting again. But Gregor Townsend is sort of talking about you know not throwing the baby out of the bathwater and building from here. Is 
do you think that's sensible or, or do there need to be some radical changes in Scotland, do you think? I don't really see what sort of radical changes we can get because it's, you know, it's not like um, it's a club team where you can go out and, and buy an individual to uh, to fill in any gaps you've got um, in terms of personnel. Uh, and it's, you know, the, the system suits, well, the system's designed to suit the type of players that we have. Um, you know, we're never going to go and mash through you like South Africa. Uh, so it's just about, I mean, one thing that I think really let us down is just the execution of skills, um, whether that's, you know, kicking from hand, which I thought went on too often, uh, or, well, you know, the defensive system is uh, something that we'll maybe touch on later. Yeah. Um, so I don't think you can... Com- it would be madness to completely just rip up the entire game plan and start again, because, um, you know, the players will... It'll be confusing for the players um, more than anything, because I don't think we're going to see a huge drop-off um, in the the personnel, you know, obviously there's some of the older guys, but again, we'll touch on that later. Yeah, but it does. I mean, it doesn't. I think the the kind of whole let's rip it up and burn everything down and start again isn't isn't the approach that Scotland ought to take. It feels like the end. It feels very much like the end of the world when you exit a World Cup at the group stages. But but there's, I think at this stage it's far too early to talk about sort of a change at the top in coaching, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Um... Um, step three, we made a decision to entrust our will and our lives to the care of the collective wisdom and resources of those who have searched before us. I mean, this is an interest. This is this is. I mean, Gregor Townsend came into this still as a very ex- inexperienced head coach in the grand scheme of things. When you look across sort of world rugby, who's in charge of international teams? He. He was he's very well thought of, obviously, and, and the you know, there was a risk that he was going to go elsewhere. And I'm not talking about going back and revising what's been because you can't do that, but you you look at the coaching group as a whole and internationally it's it's inexperienced. You've got Mike Blair as a skill coach, we've got Matt Taylor who's been with Townsend a lot, but I knew I had some experience, I think, under Randy Robinson and, and Scott Johnson. And then we've got um Danny Wilson who's come in and you just I suppose the big question is: Do they need someone there, even if it's in a, a more junior position? You know, even if it's a, you know as a defence coach or a skills coach or a, a, in a consultancy basis, who's been there and done that? Do you think? You know, I'm not talking Brian Ashton, but a Brian Ashton style figure who's a bit more streetwise. Um, yes, you know, uh, Graham Henry was he, he was working with Canada, I think, um, prior to the tournament, and you know he's he's been round the block and done it um one thing i think townsend is i think he could possibly say he's a bit of an idealist he uh he wants to play he wants to win by playing you know good attractive flowing rugby because that's the kind of player he was as well high risk high reward um but when it gets to international level is maybe a, a more pragmatic approach or somebody who can say look i know how things work at this level Here's what you should be doing here. You know, I think that would would be beneficial. Um, you know, Danny Wilson. He's how, how long's he been? Um, is, he, is it even a year yet? Because Dan McFarland obviously done a pretty good job with the forwards, and then he went off to Ulster. Um, it's not even a year because he came in. I think in January was, was it, it the Six Nations he came in for because they had to decide to get him released early, didn't they, from his contract with yeah, yeah. Wasps? Um, I think. Yes. Was, yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Which is all, I mean, and again, you look at, when you look in the grand context of things, is that there is that, that um, Dan McFarlane went to Ulster, and you can understand why. I mean, that's where, you know, that's where he's from. It's his hometown club. It's, it's, it's too good of an opportunity for him to pass up. It's a job, yeah. Exactly, and that's, he obviously had ambitions to do that. But in terms of World Cup preparation, to lose your forwards coach, you know, six months before, you know, six, you know what, 10 months before a World Cup, and to bring someone else in, isn't really ideal preparation, I guess. Uh, no, and you don't imagine that they've got, you know, in, in most other walks of life, there's handover periods and what have you, where, you know, if you're taking over someone else's role, they can maybe mentor you for a week or two. You know, I, uh, I very much doubt that that went on. Um, I doubt Dan McFarland was there. Danny Wilson, like, here you go, here's the playbooks we've been working on. Here's this. Um, you know, they're going to have their own ideas. Uh and obviously, you know, with McFarland being at Glasgow, a few of those boys would have, you know, known his his style of working already. Um, so yeah, I don't think it was wasn't ideal. No, and it's a whole new so it's a whole new person to get used to a new way of playing. It's a, you know presumably he's bringing his own kind of forward playbook in, and then he's got to gel with because we forget, of course, we mentioned before on the podcast that Gregor Townsend is the attack coach. For Scott, you know, he is Scotland's attack coach, so he's got to find a way with to work with Matt Taylor and Danny Wilson together to bring this this game together. And you almost, I mean, to a certain extent, that we've talked about that before, that that you feel like Gregor Townsend should bring in an attack coach, whether that's even on a consultancy basis, to just question what he's doing because it's a big, you know, Wales have got a separate attack coach. I think England have got a separate attack coach. I don't know, yeah, I think John I, Mitchell. Of course, I think Alan do as well, don't they? I don't think it's. Um, is it Andy Farrell? To you, the Andy Farrell's defense... the defence coach, isn't he? Defence coach, isn't he? Yeah. But you, you know, a lot of the big teams will have separate coaches for these roles, and then you have the head coach that kind of it, it, it's the head coach's job, I suppose, to coordinate all that and make it a whole, isn't it? And I think that's the problem is that the Townsend, if he's focused on attack, then when it comes to the whole, there is already a, I suppose, as head coach, there's already sort of a. A hierarchy there that it's not a level playing field with three people sort of saying, "Well, here's the forwards, here's the defence, here's the attack plan," and him sort of working out how that's all going to mesh together. If he's spending time looking at the attack on its own, um, yeah, very much. You know, he's like you said. You know, if he's the the overseer, um, he's got a. Obviously, he's going to have his input um, with each of the coaches individually. Uh, maybe just a few suggestions. Look, look, this is what I think regarding this. Can you set up uh, a system for your area, which can then bleed in to us all together? But if he's also spending a lot of time working out the attacking shape, you know, has has he got the um, I don't know if the foresight or maybe just you know the ability to to look at the the whole rather than just his sort of part of the whole? Yeah. Um, Alan don't have an attack coach from what I can see they've got um, a head coach Joe Smith forwards coach Simon Easterby then they've got Andy Farrell defence Greg Feek as the scrum coach I don't even think we've got a separate scrum we've coach we've got a scrum coach have yeah we? I don't think yeah. I remember we used to but I don't think we've we've got Richie Murphy as the kicking coach who I think I think uh, Mossy Phils I think um, Chris Patterson does the kicking coaching for um, Edinburgh and Glasgow in Scotland um, I'm not sure if he's in the camp. He's not in camp with him because he's doing new media work. Um, we've got a strength and conditioning coach, which I, I don't know if Scotland have got that separate. A technical analysis, which I know we've got. Team doctor, we've also got. And then a performance nutritionist. Uh, one, then a couple of masseurs. What, two masseurs. 
I tell you what, you should see the photo of the two messieurs, and I tell you what, it's not that is not who you'd want to be getting a massage from. <laughs> you would not pay good money to get a massage from those two gentlemen. I will tell you that. <laughs> oh, no happy endings whatsoever. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. Have you'd be worried if you got a happy ending there. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think that the definitely, I think there needs to be a review of the coaching structure, and we might come on to that in a in a wee bit as well. Um, so we we've the next. Step step four is we're ready to accept help in letting go of all our defects of character. And the way I interpreted that was about the mentality. I think you touched on it before with the kicking. Is that the Scotland, there's still an issue with Scotland's the mentality of the players. And that's either because they're not being prepared properly by the coaches or when they get on the field, something is, something is going amiss. Because... There is the the, the kicking the, the game plan was sort of working against Japan to start with the initial game plan in terms of uh, and and even against Ireland early on it was working but then when it falls to pieces I I can't believe there isn't a plan B everyone talks about this lack of a plan B from Townsend I think what there from my point of view looking at it from the outside it looks more like the players are carrying on doing the same thing without thinking how do we change things and that again that's either a failure of coaching that they're not trained enough to think independently enough to work that out for themselves or they're just not they're not implementing whatever plan b there is and it's hard to tell what it is really um yes as well it's it's like they don't seem to be able to adapt you know you could see uh japan were playing a lot down the blind sides uh and then leaving a large blind side for us when we were attacking but there seemed to be nobody on the pitch, or I don't know how they can maybe get them in. Especially when, you know, for 40 minutes, basically, we, we were just getting pinned back after Finn Russell scored. And there just seemed to be nobody who was able to say, hang on, this is going a bit screwy. We just need to take the pressure off ourselves here. Um, stop kicking it. We'll maybe try and rumble through a few phases, hopefully get a penalty or something, then get ourselves you know back down that end of the pitch and um, give ourselves a, a line-out opportunity. Um, yeah. It just seems to be a, a failure to adapt, a lack of tactical noose on the field. Because the plan A was working actually in the first twenty minutes. You watched Japan, and Japan was starting to look hesitant just before they got that first try. They were starting to look hesitant, and Scotland were slowly marching them back up the field. But they got that first try, and then it was almost like they realised this is going to work. Whatever we're doing, whatever game plan they had to take Scotland apart was going to work after they scored the first try. And and like I said, it was almost like this. There was no harm in Scotland continuing to do what they were doing and seeing that as a one-off. It was when the second try goes in, that's when you go, right, there's something up here. They've obviously worked us out or done something we need to have, take a different approach for 10 minutes, just take this sting out of it a little bit, stop them getting the ascendancy. I mean, Stuart Hogg was an odd one, wasn't it? Because at least two of the tries, he... If, you know his defensive position. You know his defensive positioning was quite was highly questionable, and we've seen that before from him. And it was all, I mean Townsend had said himself that Stuart Hogg wasn't in the best of form, and he is someone I think that's spoken in the past about problems he has with sw- not switching off during games, but almost sort of getting too sort of too too much in his own head. Um, yeah, because the thing like people. The world knows how threatening he can be with ball of hand, and we'd seen it um, in the in the other uh, World Cup games. They were sending two or three men on at a time, and a lot of the time he's getting himself isolated as well. He's he's running into blind alleys, and but then there also you can say, well, 
you can see where he's trying to go. Why isn't somebody going to support him? Even just to clear out, you know, if once he gets tackled, he he does seem to, um, you know, they, like I said, you know, a lot of time they're sending the opposition are sending two or three men on him, and he has to, you know, he's experienced enough now that he should know. Hang on, this is they're doing this to me on purpose. I should maybe try and adapt, um, change what I'm doing here, um, rather than just getting caught out same yeah. time and time again. Because I don't know who called that, that play where he got absolutely mullered by Michael Leach up the blind side. There's obviously a, a ploy to, to go up the blind side with, with um, Hogan and Graham, but it, it absolutely, what you watch it, it wasn't on. And you've got to assume that Hogs called that, but it absolutely wasn't on. There was, you know, the blind side was well marshalled. And the, I mean, the other thing in terms of mentality in the Scotland team, we, we've said before, when Scotland play well, it's because Finn Russell's relaxed and enjoying himself and having fun. The moment that Finn Russell turns into Dan Bigger, you have got to be worried about Scotland. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I could maybe see where he was coming from with one of the knock-ons. Um, but I think it was born out of frustration more than anything. Because we know the guy's a world-class talent. And if things aren't going um, his way, eventually, especially now he's one of the sort of elder statesmen of the team, he's an experienced guy now. Um, uh, if things aren't going right, and he's starting to lose the head, then you, you know, there is some some serious issues there. He's almost a litmus test, isn't he, of of, how, of Scotland's mentality? You've got to think he's the, he's the he's the canary in the cage of how Scotland are getting on. <laughs> he's a pet pony. <laughs> that's it. If 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 Finn Russell loses the head, Scotland have lost the game. I think that's it. He's the last one to go, almost, isn't he? <laughs> really. Um, the next one is the next step five. With humility and openness, sought to we have sought to eliminate our shortcomings. Um, I guess that question is what 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 does Scotland have to fix between now and the Six Nations, Ian? Well, I think it kind of ties in with uh, the third question um, regarding the coaching staff. Do we have to accept we're not going to win playing super sexy rugby because the defensive systems now? Um, you know, you look at Wales and Ireland; they they play suffocating. And if a suffocating game based on line speed and, you know, maybe being offside um, quite a bit as well. Uh, but that's the thing you need to sort of realise that a lot of time it's about getting away with stuff rather than just trusting that you can, you know, just expect Finn Russell to produce mo- moment of magic after magic to pull us out a hole. Yeah, and I think that's it. It's that, again, you can see what Scotland are doing, but I think if, if they can't get it fixed so that they can execute it in the way that Japan executed I guess it flawlessly, if you execute the game plan flawlessly it's fine but if you can't execute it to the degree of accuracy that's needed to play that way then you need to have, you need to have something else to fall back on and I wonder, I wonder if that's part of it that, that, that Townsend's expecting a flawless isn't accounting for human error within his plans, you know he's saying well if we play this way and we execute it flawlessly we'll easily counter whatever's coming our way which is fine but it doesn't account for the fact that somebody might just be feeling slightly off the pace that day or you know mentally the team might struggle for you know the first 10 minutes or whatever but it's I I think you're right and and you just the defence definitely needs work and that's a lot of people have asked that whether or not Townsend needs to be ruthless and really properly review the back room I mean I think I was saying on the group chat that we've got earlier this week, you know, Sean Edwards has signed about 30 contracts with about 500 different teams <laughs> in the past couple of years, and we still don't know where he's going after Wales. And you think, I'm not suggesting Sean Edwards, but you almost want 
somebody very you know very experienced international defense coach to come in for a couple even if it's just for a couple of years just to work with the team and maybe work with somebody with a view to you know just just sort of drilling the players because you I mean you look at what Richard Cockrell's done to Edinburgh and I'm not suggesting we, you know we, we bring in Richard Cockrell because he's doing a fine job at Edinburgh but but somebody that could just come in and absolutely drill the players and get the defense sorted out um, yeah, I've, I've called for that a few times on here. You know, and I've, I've preempt, uh, preempted it by saying, not that I'm calling for anyone to lose their jobs here. Um, and, um, you know, I, I'll say it again because I don't want Matt Taylor to necessarily lose his job. But uh, I think it was um, a friend of mine called Kyle. He, uh, he looked into some stats and uh, even during the sort of lean years of Andy Robinson and Matt Williams, these seven years that Matt Taylor's been defensive coach, we'd conceded something like 30 more tries than in the same seven-year period previously. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's it's like we can't always guarantee to go and, you know, like Alex Ferguson was manager of Man United, it was the opinion, right, if you've scored three, we'll score four. We can't guarantee to do that because other teams have learned to stifle us. We didn't score that many tries during the Six Nations. And we didn't we didn't concede a, a huge deal, um, apart from the England game, obviously. Um, but even against Wales and Ireland, there was only a, like a score or two in it in those games. Yeah. And if we can cut out those defensive errors, because the two two of the Ireland tries, I think they only scored two. One's a, an individual error by Seymour when he must have assumed that he was playing with Blair Kinghorn rather than Sean Maitland and launched it over Maitland's head. <laughs> Um, and then there was one where Stockdale just was easy, uh, able to easily carve right through the middle. It's a nice delayed pass by Sexton, but there's a, there's a gaping chasm there. And if you yeah. see that big guy coming, you should be thinking, hold on, he's really good at running with the ball. I'd better go and clatter him or, you know, make sure I'm covering in behind just to stop him. Yeah. And I think that's it. And the other issue is this, this, you know, against the bigger teams now, it's becoming a regular thing that we go behind. And we can't be. We've got to find a way of stopping being in, going behind and chasing games. You know, we can't. We can't turn up every every game and do a Twickenham. I mean, you know, it's just oh. it did that particularly. You know, and and you, and you look at him. We almost threatened to do a Twickenham against Japan, but it was too late because we needed so much from that game. We'd given them the bonus point that was so. You know, you go in the last ten minutes looking for two tries and a penalty just to get through the group stage in second place is, is a ludicrous situation to find yourself in. And you almost wonder, it's almost like, you know, Ian McGeekin was talking on, um, I think it was the Samoa game, or was it, no, I've been one of the other games where he was talking about just, just doing a defensive set for a bit. I think it was the Russia game, in fact, where we, we drove Russia back up the pitch and you almost kind of feel like, you know, Scotland needs to just do a good defensive set, set just to sap the other team a little bit, just to get the other team thinking and just sort of we we win games where we comes back to when we do, when when we've got good game management where we we slowly rack up the points on the scoreboard and then later again when the game starts to break up that's when you can score the tries but we can't be you know letting in twenty eight points against the team any team in the first half of a game. Yeah, because that was you know once it got to twenty eight seven you've get half an hour to try and score twenty nine points. Yeah. Um. So you know if you're and we've seen it, see it time and time again, conceding points early. Um, and we've discussed it time and time again. And it just seems to be it's not getting fixed. Yeah. Um, 
So and it's the same thing. As it doesn't get fi- it. It gets fixed. It's fixed for the tier two games now. I think I don't think that's an issue. That the you know the rushes Samoas even the even that you know the Fiji a couple of autumns again. Yeah. Go. It's fine. Those we don't we don't lose those matches in the same ways we used to in the past. You know, you could have the odd blip where we you know we lost to Tonga and Andy Robinson went or. Uh, there was that first Fiji game that Townsend was in charge for. Those those are becoming rarer and rarer. It's it's now getting that consistency at a higher level. I think that that, that Scotland really needs to start doing. Um, next, quick, quick step six. Then, is we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Um, so, in terms of post World Cup, then who stays and who goes? Because you need within a World Cup cycle, you're going to need some players who aren't going to make the full four years to see the younger ones through because you can't just, you know, cut everybody that's... It's not like Logan's run where you can suddenly say, well, you're <laughs> going to be too old in four years' time. You're going to need some older heads to see everybody through. But there's also going to be some where it's just not going to be... what You know, what you wonder what the point is. So who's... who? First of all, who, who do you think is, is likely to sort of has has played the last game in a Scotland shirt. I mean, you've got you know, Laidlaw's talking about potentially retiring after he's had some conversations, but you wonder whether he might do the Sean Lamont and just never, you know, never rule himself never out. Retire, yeah. Um, I, I think you know, since he's turned thirty-four, um, and unless there's a complete emergency needed if Price and Hornito were were injured during the Six Nations, you think he would, you know, call it a day on the international stage. Um. I think John Barkley might as well, because um, he's 32 now. Would it maybe be worth keeping him on for a year because he's you know so tactically astute? But um, I wouldn't be surprised if he went. Maitland and Seymour, they're over 30 now. Uh, and obviously Seymour, a lot of people are calling for him to get chopped and the Prince of Hoyk to now, uh, now be a, a guaranteed yeah. starter. Yep. Um, and... I don't know the, the the enigma that is Ryan Wilson. Uh, yeah. What do we what do we say with him? What do we do with him? What do we, I know, and that's it. Does it? You know, is is that uh, the extra stuff he adds? Is that is that worth it? Given the the depth we now have at black back row, and you've got to think that's the that's the question, isn't it? Because can you can you afford to have Wilson and Barkley hanging around where you, where you've where we'd now really build up such depth. I mean, Blade Thompson's only 28, so you've got to, you know, he'd be 32 at the next World Cup, so he's still he's still going to be in there or thereabouts, you think, if Barkley's 32, if he stays fit. Um, I mean, the worry is going to be four, four years. Actually, the worry is actually at hooker because Fraser Brown's 30 and Stuart McAnally's 29. Yeah, you know, Rory Best was still, he's still there. 36, he's but I mean, yeah. 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 Um, but um, yeah, I think well, Nell's thirty three as well, so I think he'll he'll call it a day. Yeah. Um, I think what would be maybe the sensible option is guys like Wilson and you know the ones who are over the age of thirty now. Maybe keep them on for a Six Nations or two, um, but playing reduced roles. You know, yeah. having them on having having them on the replacements bench rather than guaranteed starters if they're fit. Yeah. Because you look at I mean. Without a shadow of a doubt, I think we can all agree that Jamie Ritchie um, was the best player, Scotland's best player at the World Cup. And like I've said, he is now basically penned himself in with a with a sharpie onto the team list. Yeah. If he's fit, 
he plays at six or seven. Yeah. Um, obviously, Watson sees, Watson's still going to be available, um, so we expect him at seven. Um, but, you know, then we do have these other options, Bradbury and Fagerson, um, and, like you said, Blade Thompson. So there's five right there, so that, that could be potentially be your back row. And Sam Skinner as well. Yeah. And you think of everybody else that's coming through as well. You know, you've got the youngsters coming through at Glasgow, and you know Matt Fagerson as well, and you've got um, you know the the Crosby. Yep, others coming, and then you've got others coming through at Edinburgh as well. So it's it's a that's I don't I think you could almost afford to. I mean, you could have times I could afford to be ruthless and just say to Barkley and Wilson, "That's it, lads, you're done." It's the youngsters. It's the young lads' turn. In 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 that position, there are other positions. I think maybe like the front row and stuff where you'd maybe want Nell. Um, hanging around for another, you know, at least one more turn at a Six Nations. Um, but elsewhere, I mean, elsewhere, I, mean, I think, like you said, the, the, the way really elsewhere, it's a young squad. If, you know, you've got, you might see Pete Horn's 29, maybe, might be a bit too much. I mean, actually, Chris Harris is 28, by the looks, you know, is, tw- is he 26 or 28? Yeah. Hang on. He's 28, I'm reading that wrong, I've not got my glasses on, I'm trying to see. So Chris Harris is 28, so you know, again, we've got a lot of young centres coming through, but again, Chris Harris is, is the kind of player that might bridge the gap. You could see Chris Harris making it through to the next World Cup, but maybe not making the cut. Joe, but he'd do enough. He's there enough for versatility and, and sort of providing some sort of continuity, which you need, obviously. Um, Duncan Taylor's probably plays last World Cup. Like I said, Tommy Seymour, Sean Maitland, but then... You know, it's again with maybe with Maitland, perhaps you need. We've got Graham, we've got Kinghorn, Hogg's still only twenty-seven, but there's not at the minute. There's not many coming through. Not a lot of options. No, no, and that's maybe the worry. You got Kyle Stain maybe at Glasgow, who was in um, the initial squad. Yeah, he can. I actually prefer him at outside centre, but um, no, he could definitely cover wing. But then you've got. Um, I've just looked there. Mark Bennett's only twenty-six, so if he yeah. can stay fit. Um, yeah, that'd be that'd be great. Um, yeah, and he's he's he seems to be coming back into form. So, I mean, the, the the set. I don't think the centres is actually actually that much of an issue, really, because again, it, you know, Glasgow, you know, Stafford McDowell's been playing well. Glasgow, been yeah. not, not bad for centres. Embro, uh, you know, got Christine, we Christine. Yeah, maybe um, a few Jones can rediscover some of that mojo. Um, yeah. And of course, the Rory Hutchinson. Of course, um, of course, yes, grand old Rory. We'll come on to him in a minute. I've got a special, a special one for cool. him. Um, so I mean, it's it's looking good. I think that I think it depends. I think he Townsend could be for afford to be ruthless in some positions and say, by all means, you know, don't make, you know, by all means, if you want to retire, retire. But if you're going to make yourself keep making yourself available, I'm going to tell you now, it's unlikely that you're going to get picked because I want to start bringing the next slot through. But there are other positions where we need that continuity, I think, because we haven't got as much depth as as we'd like. I think so. It'll be interesting to see what happens and where yeah. it goes. The oh. front row is a big concern, I think. There. Yeah. Um, but we'll have, um, you know, Cable will be um, he'll be uh, nationalised by then, if that's the right term. Summer. That's yeah. Well, he's racist, he's, yeah. he's going to naturalise. Yeah, he's going to be. That's, he's, that's the one. he's going to be qualified. He'll have qualified. Scott's qualified. Yeah. SQ'd by the summer, and so is Duhan van der Merwe as well. Yeah, but then, then by the summer. The, well, I suppose there's another wing slot filled. Yeah. Um, but I suppose the sort of the main problem I think is because Kebel and Skuman are the first choices, and with, with just the two professional teams, guys like Batty. Um, or the the long lost Daryl Marfo, for example. Yeah. You know, we're we're just not getting um big game exposure 
yeah. for, for these guys. I know, and that's that. That's a difficult. I mean, Pierre Schumann, I think, if I've done my maths right, he would qualify. Be Scots qualified just before the next World Cup because he signed for Embra. Yeah, he's a, a five-year, five-year. Yeah, but he so he signed last summer. So he will qualify the summer of the world next World Cup. All right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So that is another option as well. So it's a bit, we'll see. We shall see. It'll be interesting to see what happens next. What you know, which way it goes with the Six Nations. I hope we don't do a Dan Parks with anybody. Where Andy Robinson called Dan Parks. I think pretty much forced Dan Parks to play his last game at Murrayfield against England, and then he got charged down, and yeah. his career didn't end in the way we'd like it to. Um, Ended up in a very Dan Parks way, shall we say. Um, <laughs> step seven, we admitted to ourselves without reservation and an other human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Um, I think we're doing that through the podcast. Um, the interesting thing to see whether the team does that. I think it'd be interesting to see the messages that come out now from Scotland. Because if they don't get, if they don't put some stuff out now, the inquest will only be delayed until the start of the Six Nations. If you answer the questions about what go wrong, goes wrong before Christmas, so in some form or other, and there will be an internal review, you know, there, there normally is with these things. But if they, if they don't get something out and put Townsend, Laidlaw, and maybe some others out for interview, fairly sharpish, you, you, these questions are only going to be asked at Six Nations, which isn't really ideal prep for a tournament. Um, uh, well, let's have a look next. I think that, that that's more for them to do. We're going to say is is submit to themselves. Um, number eight made a list of all the persons we harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. So uh, first of all, uh, we will say sorry to Rory Hutchinson. Maybe you should have gone ahead of Pete Horn. Yeah, um, or a clearly not uh, Matt Sharp, Duncan Taylor, who as uh, a sensational player, I think it was during the Russia game. Um, Hugo Monier stated that Jamie George said he's the best rugby player he's ever played with. Yeah. Um, but he's, you know, he's hardly played any any minutes at top level rugby for two years. Yeah, and I think that was, I think, I you kind of got the impression that what Townsend was hoping is that if he got him enough rugby before the quarterfinals, he'd be match sharp, and maybe he would have been, but you can't, again, you, you have to turn up to a tournament with 31, was it 31 players? I 31 players who are all fit. And ready to play, you can't be relying on somebody to, you know, get game time at the World Cup and bring up the fitness. Not with it, not with the depth we've got, I think, and not with the game plan we're trying to play. So yeah, I would say I would say sorry to Rory Hutchinson. Anyone you want to say sorry to to make amends to Ian Ben um, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, as... no, it no, me, so it wasn't I'm you. I'm washing fine. my hands of it. That's okay. Um, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except where to do so would injure them or others um, I I have no way of getting in touch with Rory Hutchinson directly that's all I will say so I cannot make direct amends with him I don't even know if he listens to this podcast to be honest so I will just simply say sorry to everybody who listened who kept emailing me about how good Rory Hutchinson was I am very sorry that I deleted all your emails um, <laughs> step 10 Continued to make a personal inventory, and when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. I mean, do you think this is the question I came up? Do you think Gregor Townsend has the ability to properly, really brutally analyse what's gone wrong and make the necessary changes? Because we keep seeing this on, particularly on sort of the comments on the blog and elsewhere, people saying you know he picks his mates and he picks people that he likes working with rather than going with. 
I suppose people that challenge him, and it's hard, you know, we don't know the inner workings of of, of the Scotland team, but th- there is that sense, you know, bringing in Mike Blair, for example, you know, it, it's it doesn't suggest someone that is will look far and wide. And I think you said in the group group chat, you know, we had Shane Wayne come in, and we we don't really know what he's done. Um, no, yeah, well, I was looking at it um, just earlier. He's only on a sort of part-time basis. Uh, Jim Mallander has obviously uh, just recently joined, but you know he he only signed up at the end of August, so he's not going to have had any time to to make an impact. Um, so was it performance development years or? Uh, I think that's it because he's not gone and he, he's the replacement for the director of rugby, but he's not taking a director of rugby role so he doesn't go in as, in a Scott I don't think he technically goes in at Scott Johnson level as Townsend's boss he's there in a different he's you know performance uh, director performance director yeah that's yeah. Uh, I found his Wikipedia um, so you yeah, wonder what so... that you, you you wonder what that I don't think we really know I don't think anyone's found out what that what that entails does it does it cover the national team does it cover the pro teams is it about performance in terms of overall performance of academies and bringing in different programs it's hard you know you know you don't know what's happened i mean jim malland is not necessarily the, you know in terms of bringing someone experienced that's not a bad appointment really there was talk of him possibly getting the england job after eddie jones mm-hmm. yeah cause he, was, he was on the um he was the england pathway uh director before he came up here um you know maybe he's maybe he's been brought in to instill a bit more pragmatism because you would think something like performance director that almost implies they're going to be overseeing um, maybe a, a sort of game style. Like I've seen, I've seen this um, for these, the Belgian football team who are now ranked number one in the world. Uh, a good few years ago, they decided, you know, they just plummeted down the rankings, and they just said, "Look, what we're going to do is uh, sort of nationally, we're all going to uh, you know, focus our efforts on this and this and this, and everyone, all the clubs had to sign up and agree to it." Um, and you you see the benefits that's made now, you know, uh, yeah. World Cup third place, like I said, ranked number one in the world rankings. And that seems to be the approach Scotland have taken because you see all the club the programs they're putting in in the clubs. And that's the way that the the Scotland model of playing that's supposed to be top down from the national team right down to kind of the skills they want the minis and the middies to put in and the the way they want the teams to put in and the coaching programs they run. You know, it's all about playing that. You know, offloading fast game and strong defense. You know, with a strong defense, it's just and and just if this, just the execution, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, just the strong defense part is. Um, you know, it's uh, not appeared. Yeah, because I mean, actually looking at, I mean, if you look at finals day, I mean, you know, I've top at the Berwick result before, but even you know, all the games that day were played at a frenetic pace and they were all high scoring. So it's, I think it's starting to have an effect. And you, I mean, it's a shame the under twenties have got have been relegated. Really, you've got to think they've got to bounce up again um, soon. Um, and, and I don't think the under-20s performances really matters so much in terms of how the national teams get on because there's so many other, you know, players mature later and it, it's hard to, it's hard to, you can't really gauge, I don't think you can ever gauge the, the health of your national team by the health of your under-20s, but it's it better for the under-20s, obviously, if they're playing a better opposition. So it'll be interesting to see what impact Jim Malander has and it'll be interesting to know what he does because it's a, it's a Scott Johnson question, isn't it? You almost need, he's going to have that. That's the job he's going to have is explaining what he does to the public and the media. Otherwise, we'll be playing. Where's Jim Malander? 
in the same way as where Scott Johnson, you know. Um, next one, what have we got? Um, are we on step? Are we on uh, eleven? St- we're on step eleven now. Uh, yeah, sought so through mediation to improve our spiritual awareness and our understanding of the AA way of life, and discover the power to carry on that way of life. Um, does Scotland have the ability to change, Ian? Uh, I think they'll have to. If they yeah. don't have the ability, they're going to have to, um, because this is a results game. Um, I'll maybe touch on this on Hands in the Rock later, but the fact of the matter is we pay our money to go and see a good performance and to see a team win or you know, at least be competitive. And particularly the Island game, that certainly wasn't the case. And we've seen it far too often over the last, well, <laughs> over the last 15 years, to be honest. Um, but, you know, it's this constant hope and then, like, oh, look, oh, we're getting all right. Oh no, wait, we just get pumped off of France. Yeah. Um, so, and I suppose that's it, isn't it? That it that, that it comes down to the the SR. You really need to be on top of it because you know they're selling out consecutive games. But it doesn't take much for people to start being turned off. If you know, yeah, we, we're going. It feels like an exciting time. But if they don't start to get the consistency sorted out, and it's more of the same, then. People are just going to stop paying the money and stop turning up, yeah. aren't they? Well, it's not exactly cheap, is it? You know, um, uh, the England tickets. I think the, the cheapest ones were like ninety-five pounds um, for the Six Nations uh, coming up. Um, and when you, you know, if you factor in travel and food and all that, you know, you're you're talking just for an individual over a hundred pounds for one day. Yeah. Um, so it's you know it's not cheap, and people will. There, there's many other ways to get your entertainment and your jollies. Um, so and nobody wants to turn up and just see their team get embarrassed. No, exactly. Um, we'll move to the last one now. Let's just get this uh, queued up here with a bit of uh, with some some whale music queued up. It's supposed to be whale music. It's supposed to be relaxing. This that's terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely horrendous, isn't it? This is <laughs> this is called soundscape music whales. The most this is called the most relaxing music. Like the creepy music when you fire up your PlayStation. Oh, it's not good, is it? So, um, do you? F- I'm not going to turn that off. That's horrendous. Do you feel <laughs> like you've had a spiritual awakening uh, at all there? Because that's what step twelve is—to have a spiritual awakening. Do you feel like, feel any better after that, Ian? Do you you know what? I, I, f- I feel it was a worthwhile exercise in order to get all the negativity out, or some of the negativity out. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't say an awakening, but certainly. It's it's got a few things off uh, off my chest, yeah. And I, and I hope you feel the same. And yes. I hope our listeners feel the same as well. I know. Well, hopefully they do. We we get that reported back to us that people do feel feel um, better after listening to the podcast. So hopefully it's been a kind of therapy. Um, we're going to move on. We're going to quickly. Well, not quickly. Actually, we're going to spend a bit of time on this now. Yes, it is hands in the ruck. It's our any other business section of the podcast. A lot of this, as you will understand, a lot of people's hands in the ruck is is around the game uh, against Japan. Um, Chloe Stanton got in touch on email. She says, yet another we'll learn from this soundbite from Townsend. What exactly are we learning? I'm not convinced anything is getting better because the coaching team should have PhDs by now with the amount of lessons they're learning, (laughs) which I thought was a very good point. 
yeah, ever, you know, as you know, you, you do get fed up of hearing the sound sound bites. Um, I'm, I'm obviously the players are extremely disappointed. You know, there's some people who say, you know, oh, they, the players just don't care. I think that's nonsense. Of course they do. Um, it's not only the livelihood; it's they're they're representing their country on the biggest stage possible. Um, now, if they fail to perform, that's completely different than not caring. Yeah. I think it's that thing that there isn't. We've we've oh, there's a bit of a, an Alcoholics Anonymous uh, theme tonight. I've only had two glasses of wine, to be fair. Um, that it, you know the definition of madness, I think, according to Alcoholics Anonymous, is to keep trying the same thing and again and again and again, and expecting expected different results. Yeah, and that kind of feels like where Scotland are at the minute. And I really hope that Townsend has a moment of clarity in the next couple of months. Um, Bruce McConaughey and others. Uh, there's many others put this in, but Bruce Bruce put it nicely. He said, Scotland being painted as the villains, all we wanted was the opportunity to decide for ourselves that we could play the game. Any other country in that position would reveal the worst parts of themselves in the same circumstances. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's fine. It's been, when we've touched on this throughout the tournament, this kind of, there's a real anti-Scottish narrative building in the press and it's nowhere else. And we'll come on to, there's somebody else putting a really lovely hands in the rug later on on, on this, but it's this idea that Scotland are the ones holding the door shut on tier two nations, that, that were it not for Scotland clinging on to their place in tier one, that other countries would be would be more than welcome to come. It was you know, the, the narrative that Scotland are the ones that voted against the world um championship yeah. when like we single handedly shut down the League of Nations. Exactly. When when pretty much everybody, including players unions, were against it. You know, that that Scotland yeah. were the ones that denied Ireland the World Cup, the romantic the romance of a World Cup, the last chance to do it before they couldn't afford to do it. You know, just yeah. because because Scotland voted for financial prudence over romance. Just yeah. <laughs> it's not also what should be forget forgotten about that is of the three bids submitted the review panel had said that Ireland's was the worst. One of the stadiums they're proposing on building in Northern Ireland doesn't even have planning permission. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then, you know, and all the, you know, just, but, you know, you look at the, I, I kind of feel sorry for Japan because you can see it coming, can't you? They're the new darlings of, you know, we all come in and, you know, you be, you replace Scotland in tier one as if that's a thing. Because it's based on historic, you know, it's based on historic structures, and you know. Uh, but uh, come in, take Scotland's place. We'll look after you. We'll not blame you for everything. But oh well, that win against Scotland, you know, it was a poor Scotland team. Maybe you're not that good. Maybe you're not as good as you think. And you know, it'll all start. And oh, you 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 don't want. Oh, it's your fault that the League of Nations have collapsed, Japan, and all of you know all of this. It's not. You know, if 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 the world wanted to make Japan a tier one nation, it's within the gift of the southern hemisphere teams to do it and you know bring them into um you know the rugby championship it's nobody no, nobody out nobody none of the people cheering on japan now were upset when the sunwolves got kicked out of super super rugby were they yeah and that was uh that was um that was the south african rugby union who i think kind of pushed for that yeah um but this is the thing, like, you know, when we're talking about... I've, I'm actually decided I'm going to so, stop using the, the Tier 1 and Tier 2 frameworks, you know. We're not going to be... I'm, go, I'm going non-binary on this. <laughs> because, it's, you know, I think if you're talking proper Tier 1, right, you're talking New Zealand, England, Wales, Ireland, then there's, like, maybe a Tier 1 and a half. If we're talking about standard of performance, right, yeah. that's your Tier 1. Then you can maybe have France, Australia, Scotland, Japan, 
as like tier one and a half or something. And then, you know, uh, then you'd say Georgia and Uruguay, Fiji uh, are much better than Namibia and what have you. That's assumed like the Namibia Canada game I quite fancied seeing just to see these two teams who are supposedly in the same tier. How are they going to face off against each other? Because Canada, who used to be pretty handy, um, they've had a, re- a real slump um, for reasons that I can't recall. I think they've they not put a lot of resources into sevens. Yep. Um, yep. And this is another thing. If you're talking about the tiers, um, if it's about resources, then Scotland are definitely not tier one because Japan have got 123,000 registered players and we've got 36,000. And even then, some uh, a lot of people have, are, are doubting the... Um, you know, how, how those figures have been calculated in the Scotland game through this new scrum system. Um, so, you know, this whole old Japan, the plucky underdogs, with their four times as many players as us, it was just, I found it, the whole thing to be quite patronising, to be honest. Um, one of my favourite quotes I've seen on Instagram earlier uh, was somebody who decided to whinge about the fact that why didn't Scotland have more time together? Japan have been together for eight months. Scotland didn't have eight months together because the players were playing for their bloody clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't don't be so stupid. I know. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, but I think yeah, this this whole narrative. I'm not I'm not done with this narrative of, of Scotland being the villains of world. It's it's yeah, it's yes. no rubbish. Um, Border Badger punching so, down. That's what it is. That's exactly exactly. Border Badger got in touch. He said it might be too late for hands and rock. You're not happy to say this. I like this one. He says it's the oh. Egypt's using words like shameful and outrageous about Jamie Ritchie's little flare up towards the end of the match. No clue about controlled aggression these guys need in the psychological battles. About time we showed some of that spirit. And I completely agree. That was perfectly timed. That really was a point when Scotland would come back in the game and really put in the pressure on Japan. I was more than happy with it. What I loved about it was the fact that John O'Keefe, the referee, said to Stuart McEnany, like, go and have a word with your guys. And they caught Jamie Ritchie just as... Stuart Rackley went out and t- said no more. Jamie Richard just literally gave him a little sort of snarl. So I see when they they had the the, the um the sort of slow motion close up of him holding Tamara by the throat. Yeah, I was like, oh, he has the eyes of a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> he is he is going to kill somebody. And we have and all, we need though we haven't had that precisely. This we've always been moaning about. There's oh, there's no bite in the pack. This boy's got plenty of bait. Yeah, that's who we need. Um, Martin Walsh elsewhere. People saying Finn Russell's to blame for Scotland's exit. Yes, that's a good call. Boo hiss. Second square. Horse. Yep, uh, that's well done. That's your swear. Let's what talk time are we on there? Fifty eight minutes. The around fifty eight yeah. minutes. I'll, that's very good going, Ian. Well done. Thanks. Thanks. I'm pro now. That that yeah. that'll be easy for me to find in the edit. Um, Stuart Schiller <laughs> says Matt Taylor's sophisticated kicking game, which was talked up in the build up, but doesn't seem to work. <laughs> Like that yeah. one. Yeah. Yes. I saw that one. Simon Devon, yeah. selection of Scottish fans becoming toxic and singling out players who've actually done very well. Yes, there's a lot of I mean people singling out Magnus Bradbury. I mean he him he him and Richie combined very well to hold up a lot of Japanese players and won a couple of turnovers that way. So I think I think he had a he didn't have a, the best of games, but I don't think he was particularly bad. No, I don't think he was terrible. Um Johnny Gray I thought was you know, we saw some real Dog and Johnny Gray. That's yeah. that's the one we need. I think it was just early doors. We won a turnover penalty. You just saw him turn rounds and like really roar and delight, and you very rarely see that from Gray. You need that every game. That's the Johnny Gray we need. He needs to harness that power. I think I th- I really like Scott Cummings as well. I think he's got that about him. I mean, uh, you see, he's a very good player. The, the what I, there was a mall at one point, and just him and Johnny Gray working together, 
pulling guys in and you just that's what we need we've only had one player do it but actually two guys just reaching over and using the the height to properly properly maul so that was good um miss moz and i like this one she says if you went by social media or online you'd think scotland fans were person non grata over in japan but in fact the opposite was true the real world is far bigger and better than the internet shows us the japan fans were incredible last night and they wanted to include us and we had a few tweets uh from people in japan and we've heard from uh people that we know out there and it sounds like they've you know the fans are getting on really well this again it's this false narrative created by the press that somehow Scotland are a persona non grata I don't actually think the whole when you look at it the headlines that, that Mark Dodson threatened legal action he didn't he said we've consulted a QC and that's very, going and asking for legal advice is not threatening anyone with legal action it's saying I don't understand this document please tell me what it says that's that's very yeah. different and maybe he shouldn't like, I think you know he should have kept his counsel or counsel that's a, a legal pun folks um, for those that don't don't know um, and, and not said anything but uh, it puts a bit of pressure on, but he didn't. He's never threatened any legal action. I mean, you've got the IRFU threatening to take Stephen Jones to to court over the fact he said that they um, that he said he that they, they wanted the game the the game cancelled, uh, and they were ca- insisting that they weren't allowed to make any um, uh, alternative arrangements for arrangements. the game to be played, and they've denied that and said that Stephen Jones is a liar. Yes, well, well. <laughs> yes, well, I, I'm. It was on a, I can't say it out loud now, but um, somebody had hilariously edited his Wikipedia page, Stephen Jones' yes. Wikipedia page. Um, can, I, can I read it out? You or can read it out. Go on, read it yeah. out and you're going to be seconds okay, right, Hang on a wee second, I'm just going to try and find it. There. This is for people who know that Stephen Jones is a time journalist. You may not know him because you may have already been blocked on him by Twitter, blocked <laughs> by him on Twitter without even knowing. Um, if you disagree with him once, he's like, what, what? And also, this is a guy who, if, I don't know if you've ever seen his um, all-time 15, he's got Dan Liddy at blindside flanker. So <laughs> there's three there's three Argentinians in the team. Um, so yeah, so it's sort of Stephen Jones is a Welsh journalist and the rugby correspondent for the Times, the Sunday Times, blah, blah, blah. And then it ends with, he is also a noted that <laughs> should be shot in the face with a bullet made of his own <laughs> which I thoroughly enjoyed. <laughs> well done, I'm glad you've got, got two swears. We got three. Got you. You snuck a third one in there as well, but I'll allow yeah. it. Um, my hands in the ruck is the inaccurate uh, reporting of disaster and event planning um, by sections of the sports press. I think it's this thing when they have to deal with anything that isn't sport, they get all carried away with themselves and, and forget about the principles of good journalism and reporting. Because not one time did I see a Japanese meteorologist or a Japanese city planner spoken to about what what provisions were in place for for events like this. I mean, obviously, the things on Saturday didn't go ahead because there was a blooming typhoon running through Japan and you can understand games getting cancelled for that. But is this the preparedness to then put, put the games on, the, ne- you know, the next day's games on? There was one guy who's based in Japan, he covers rugby in Japan, had tweeted a photo- an aerial photograph of the stadium with an arrow pointing to the river next to it and said, look, there is a river next to it and we're expecting a lot of rain. And then I tweeted him and was like, yeah, but next to the river, that other river there that looks like a river is actually flood defences and if you drive past it on Google Earth, there's a massive like levee plus flood defences and then somebody else tweeted and went yeah and the stadium's built on stilts and if you look at this guy bless him I don't whoever you are I salute you had googled the flood defence system for Yokohama and had found out that the flood defences around the stadium were designed to cope with the same conditions as 
fell in 1958, which was the other worst typhoon they'd had. And you know, nobody, there was just this whole thing about it's Category 6, it's going to be devastating, was based on the fact that whenever there's a stiff breeze in England, the whole world comes to a stop. <laughs> so what we've done is we are not going to fall into the same traps. We have found an emergency planner. And we're going to speak to him about emergency preparedness because I think it's something worth looking at. So, here is my brother, Gareth Black, um, Berwick Rugby Club legend um, and emergency planner, who I interviewed earlier today about the principles of emergency preparedness um, when preparing for disasters. Uh, I'm joined now by um, Gareth Black, um, an expert in emergency planning. Um, given everything that's gone on uh, over the weekend, we thought it'd be worth speaking to an expert because nobody else has uh, in the media. Um, Gareth, it's your first time on the podcast, uh, so we get to ask you the question, although I think I know the answer is what club socks would you wear if you were picked for the Barbarians? Uh, yeah, Beric, no doubt. No doubt, no doubt, that's fine. Um, the, the, the reason we wanted to speak to you, because there was a lot of panic, I think, in the build-up to the game on Sunday about the ability of Japan to cope with a typhoon, sort of ignoring the fact that they deal with this on a regular basis. And obviously you, you've, you're you an emergency planner, um, so it's good to get an under... Although, you know, presumably you haven't dealt with many typhoons in your time. No. No. Um, well, in terms of um, the principles of emergency and disaster planning, um, you, you're adapting to local conditions and you're looking at the worst-case scenario, are you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Worst case uh, story or plans, what it's all based on. Um, I, I, there's a few bits you can look at. I think um, the first thing to say is that when we're you know, doing emergency plans, that's the planning, we would set a few priorities. So generally what you're looking at is um, people, the environment, your assets and your reputation. That are sort of the four key priorities you want to protect. Um, and, you know, it's absolutely right that people come first um any threat to them and you know it's, it's the right call to be calling things off whatever needs to happen for safety is um is the right call in that instance so um yeah looking at worst case risk um yeah calling games off is, is absolutely the right call if there's, there's any risk to people that needs to be a number one priority and in terms of the kind of um worst case we're assessing against I mean Japan had said that their last their worst typhoon they'd ever had on record I think it was 1958 which was the last time they'd had a category 6 typhoon um, but that's a long time ago and presumably things move on so I, I mean in the UK we I know for flood defences it's one in a hundred years so in terms of disasters is, is always preparing for the for the absolute worst case No so Generally, there's a sort of six-stage process we take when, when looking at these things. So the first two are we need to anticipate what might happen. So we'll look at all potential risks um, and rate, rate those sort of likelihood, how likely are that to happen, and then what's the potential impact. Um, and, and you'd look at a few different scenarios there from kind of worst case to what is most likely to happen. So you'd, you'd have a few um, different permutations dependent on that. Um, and, and then, we'd, you know, once we've anticipated and assessed everything that could potentially happen, um, we'd be pulling together a sort of risk register with all the potentials on it um, and looking at how, how we could treat them. So it's not, no, it's not necessarily always worst case. Um, it is assessing what is the most likely thing to happen and times that by its impact to give, give an overall risk score. And, and presum- um, so presumably you've got lots of different agencies. It's not just kind of one, there'll be one person overseeing it, but presumably everybody's working together on those plans. You'll have police who've got the plans and the local 
council, whatever the equivalent of Japan, would have their plans and the health service would have their plans? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways. So um, sort of day-to-day planning in the UK, if you like, when it's not event-specific, have something called um, a local resilience forum. So that's police, ambulance, fire service, local authority, highways agency, NHS, all the responders in a local police force area. So there's one in each area come together to develop a risk assessment for the local area. So everything that could potentially impact on that area um, is listed in a local risk register. Um, and you, could, you can get that online for your local area. Um, and then they develop um, internal plans, each agency in response to them, and a multi-agency plan, um, say, if it impacts on your local community or local area. Um, but then in the UK, we also have things called safety advisory groups. So if there is a specific event will come together to plan for that event. So something like major music festival, um, you know, major sporting event. We'll be pulled together to develop across all agencies a specific plan just for that event um, and just for, um, you know, specific risk assessment and plan that details specific considerations for that event. So in, in the case, um, you know, structures are different over in Japan, but in, in the case of the UK, we would have um, existing local plans um, in general for an instant in that community and then there would be detailed very specific ones and, and World Rugby would sit on it wouldn't quite be a safety advisory group it would be a little bit higher given the national priority but they would sit on this group um, with agencies to develop that event specific plan, uh, plan as well and so you, you mentioned sort of obviously priority is people um, in terms of when, when, you're a spot, when you're planning an event and plan, looking at the risk and an emergency plan around that. What, what comes next after people? What's the next consider, kind of considerations? You mentioned a couple of them. Uh, so generally then we'll be trying to prevent any damage to the environment. Um, and then after that, it's looking after the assets of the community um, or the company what we're planning for. Um, so try to keep you know things up and running, the local community running. Um, what are those key things that we need so that the event or the community can, can continue to function? And what, what tends to be the priority then? What comes first? Is it the community or the event? Um, generally the community. Um, you know, that is uh, sort of the core. And, and, and again, that comes back to looking after people. They need a, a functioning community, um, functioning services, um, you know, for life and, and for their well-being. So, yeah, community needs to be the priority. Yeah, and presumably, the, I mean, the, 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 uh, I'm not. I know you, you don't know much about Japan. But presumably, they're running regular drills on this, and that's what you would do. Sort of an emergency plan. You you sort of planning and running drills so everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah, um, from what I know, Japan is regularly drilled, especially in earthquakes. Uh, you know, they're one of the most prepared countries in the in the world for this sort of thing. Um, but certainly, in the run up um, to a major event, we would be running. Uh, specific exercises for that so testing not every scenario on your risk register but the most likely ones and i would be surprised if world rugby hadn't run uh, a typhoon type scenario given that this is in the typhoon sort of window um so we'll be running through a range of scenarios exercises to say you know what if this happens um what, what could we potentially do do our plans hold up do the work and practice um you know sort of giving them that real life test yeah. Um, well, thanks, thanks, Gareth. That's been really, uh, really interesting. Um, but the, finally, because um, this is coming in the middle of our hands in the ruck section, do you happen to have a hands in the ruck from uh, from the weekend at all? Anything that that bothered you, good or bad? I was I was frustrated actually. I, I mean, I, I thought Japan took. Um, I thought they played well. Um, 
I thought our kicking game was poor. It was fine when we were drilling at the corners, but I thought kicks were either not going deep enough or if they were coming shallow, they weren't giving us a chance to win them. So that frustrated me. Um, but, you know, you couldn't be too good because, you know, fair play to Japan. They played really well and, and I thought they deserved it. Yeah, I think that that seems to be the the thing. It almost feels disrespectful to Japan to kind of say that Scotland played badly in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah. That was a, a great game. Good. Thank you very much for joining us, Gareth. And uh, next time we've uh, got uh, some disasters on on the horizon, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. Um, that was Gareth Black, my brother. Uh, thank you very much for doing that, Gareth. I, I should point out my other brother was very upset that he wasn't invited on the podcast. Uh, I did I did say that you can come on if you if you can talk about emergency preparedness, uh, but he lives in Australia and the time difference meant he couldn't come on. He did then point out that he's uh, he's still in the World Cup because he's uh, also an Australian national, but he doesn't understand rugby, so he doesn't understand that that's a bad thing. Bless him. Um, what's your hands in the rock? The, 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 the final one that we've got, Ian, what's your hands in the rock this week? Now, we all know that um, me and my moderating job on uh, my, my other half, John Anderson's Rugby Forum, um, and we've, you know, some other people's hands in the rock, uh, the direct abusive players and stuff. I'm not into that at all. However, what I do think is that you should be allowed on social media to accurately criticise folk. What I've seen a, quite a number of, um, there's been people writing on uh, Scottish Rugby um, Scottish Rugby team's official Facebook page. They're like, oh, we're all proud of you lads. They did their best. And you're, well, I'm just going to sit there going, well, did they though? That, I don't think that is their best because I've seen their best. And it, <laughs> their best their best doesn't get you pumped off of Ireland. You know, Um yeah. And it's just this whole, oh, they're, they're doing what they can. Well, and you know, if they're doing, if what they're doing is not up to scratch, you should be allowed to point that out. You should be allowed to say, no, this is wrong. This is the errors here. That's what we, you know, we've just spent over an hour doing that practically. Uh, and as long as it's a measured debate, you you should be allowed to do that. But then people are going, oh, and then the whole, oh, but I bet you can do any better. Well, no, I don't get paid tens of thousands of pounds to do it. You know, it's, it's not my job to do it. If, if you're failing at your job, you get axed. And that's what, you know, we're talking about maybe players who are maybe ready for, um, maybe not the knacker's yard, but to start getting phased out. You know, if... And then these people defend themselves, go uh, just sort of keep on going, oh, they're doing their best. Well, you know what? We get angry sometimes if things aren't going our way. But as long as you can do it sort of eloquently and eruditely and not specifically blame one individual for it you are allowed to criticize yes i know and we've talked about that before in this podcast i think you're absolutely right it's i think it's legitimate criticism of players is fine don't tag don't tag them or at them or you know at all don't direct it at them but you know it's fine to say that someone's someone you know stuart hogg's defensive positioning was questionable against Japan. It's fine to say guys were slipping off tackles. It's fine to say that Chris Harris shouldn't have got stripped of the ball. That's because that's what happened. And a bit of legitimate criticism is absolutely fine. It's, it's you know, abuse is... When it strays into abuse, that's different. When you're tagging players in it, I think that's different. Um, I kind of... It's interesting because I kind of experienced that a wee bit myself after the, the final whistle. Not not that I was responsible for the, for the loss, but just final whistle goes and I just suddenly a load of people tagging me into oh, you know, borderline sort of like abusive tweets about you know how Scotland had got on and you think well 
what's wrong gone wrong in someone's life that you think you know by all means send out salty tweets about you know Scotland going out of the World Cup that's fine but to then tag somebody in it and say ha 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 look at this abuse I'm sending your way it's like well, what's what's gone wrong in your life that when someone's you know probably feeling a wee bit down about the fact the team's gone out of the World Cup that you want to then contact them directly or like flag up the fact of them and rub it in their face. Yeah. Do you want some salt? Do you want some salt in that wind there, son? Yeah. Yeah, here let me here let me rub that in for you. It's like no, it's just yeah. So no, I think that's a fair shout. Um we'll go with that. Um the last hands in the ruck. Um this is from Ewan and Ewan didn't get around to telling me what his hands in the ruck was. But Ewan said that his hands in the ruck would be so long it would sound like Billy Joel's "We Didn't Start the Fire." So, you and challenge accepted. Um, I've take we've taken the lyrics from "We Didn't Start the Fire," um, and thank you to Sandy Smith who helped me out with some of this. Um, and we're going to try this. We're going to do it live, so uh, bear with us. <laughs> and we've got a karaoke backing track. It's got four bars of intro, so we'll you know do we dance or something. So this is "We Didn't Start the Fire" with all the most of the hands in the ruck that we've had uh, for the whole World Cup, just to. Just to see us out, and we'll, we'll see you on the other side of this for for a wee bye bye, and, and and let you know what happened next. So, let's see how this works. It's starting, Ian. It's a long intro. It's like the Argentinian national anthem. <laughs> introduction it says introduction on the screen. Here we go. Always Twitter storms, Guardian, get it wrong. Townsend's plan B just not showing up. Edford Dow, Gus Pichot, Darcy's always on the go. George Horn, hat trick, Hutchinson dropped. Inconsistent referees, TMO is Benskeen, rugby pass, crap memes, Mark Dodson's QC, independent commenter, bye bye World Cup, Japanese deserve to win, Eddie Jones get in the bin, we didn't start the fire, it was always burning since the world's been turning, we didn't start the fire, no we didn't light it but we tried to fight it, we know Russia and Samoa now, it's all over. Andrew Cotterburn, Kittatuni out. Finn Russell's miss pass, Iris make us look like ass. Johnny Sexton Key and Healy Peter Romani. Yokohama Typhoon, Goddy Reads, I am Brew, Tom English, SRU, Jimmy Ritchie's Graft. Passing, passing's always very slow under Mr. Laidlaw. Woodward's in the studio, I can take it anymore. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning We didn't start the fire No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it There we go. That was it as far as I got, yeah. So. I, I had a couple. I had a, was Owen Farrell, no arms tackle, refer to TMO. Um, That's good. I like uh, that one. Uh, and I was trying to get one about Manu Tua Laggy jumping off the harbour. That was quite difficult. Though. No, that's quite difficult. It was only we were only doing hands in the ruck from this World Cup, so yeah. it wouldn't have counted. All right. Yeah. Oh, okay. So um, that's it from us. Um, we'll be back in two weeks. 
So what to do yourselves for the rest of the World Cup? We've got a couple of suggestions. It's a Pro 14 rest week this week, uh, next weekend, unfortunately. Um, we googled what to do around Scotland. Uh, the Tenants Brewery Tour came up top suggestion, so no. get yourself on there. Um, Is there club matches on? There will um, be club matches on, I would imagine. Yeah, get yourself down get to a club. Get, get Actually, for, um, where's, where's Dougie Donnelly? Um, at the Hawks game, I was covering for the offside line, and the Scotsman, by the way. Got on the Scotsman again. Very good. Um, uh, Grant Stewart turned up just oh, before he uh, he went to play for uh, the Warriors. Great to see. Get, Hawks. Yeah. get to a game. Get to a game. All the all the best people do. Um, avoid House of Art lover on Glasgow Southside because they've got an exhibition on kimonos at the moment, so you want to be triggered. Um, <laughs> the Scottish Opera are performing Puccini's Tosca at the Theatre Royal in Glasgow. Uh, Scottish Ballet. I know we've got ballet fans. Um, read that prop the other week. Um, they're performing. Oh, don't their... your club for it. No, don't. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't call off for it. But uh, they are performing their interpretation of Arthur Miller's The Crucible at Festival Theatre in Edinburgh before it goes on international tour. Sorry, ballet. Ballet, yeah. A ballet interpretation. Oh, right. That sounds interesting. That it looked quite good. Um, this was interesting. The Berwick Literary Festival's on, but Duns have decided to run their own rival story fest at the same time, which sounds like a really cheap invitation. So Berwick have got a literary festival, and Duns have gone, it be books, we do story fest. <laughs> so, yeah, that'll know that'll be rubbish compared to Berwick's uh, much better literary festival. Um, it's film night at the War Shop Village Hall near Yetham. They're showing Green Book. Um, then in Inverness, it's uh, Monster and Mary Shelley um, at the Eden Court in Inverness. It's... Uh, yeah, another. What does it say? It's a, it's a play basically about Mary Shelley writing Frankenstein, as much as I could tell. Um, and then after that, next couple of weekends, you've got uh, next weekend after is Dragons v Glasgow away. Glasgow win that because the play, some players should be back. I would have thought an Ember v Scarlets, and then the weekend of the Rugby World Cup final, it's Glasgow versus Southern Kings on the Friday night and Benetton and Ember on the Saturday. So plenty to keep you going. Uh, we are going to have a break for a week. Um, so we will not have a podcast out next week. We'll be back the week after, after the next round of Pro 14 games. Um, we, um, If you want more World Cup coverage podcast style, then go and listen to Blood and Mud, because what they do is very good. Uh, obviously, they do. People who will listen know they swear, so it's not suitable for kids, but it's it's the best analysis, best and fairest analysis and uh, that, that I think you'll get during the World Cup that isn't just um, ex-players, telling uh comparing the size of their penises um but for the moment um it's please you know if you've got a chance go and buy our world cup song that's still on sale um forever we, we any anything we raise between now and the 31st of december we said we we will donate to the my name's doddy foundation so just to you know as a way to round off the world cup go and buy that just to just as a way of sort of putting it to bed and go and go and sing it sing it whilst crying to yourself to sleep um but that's it from me and ian uh for this week we will see you all in two weeks goodbye cheerio